Thanks, Ben. Hey, thank you guys. I appreciate you. Thanks for being here today. Thanks for braving the snow and the cold. Um, we are going to take communion at the end of the service, so if you didn't get a chance to grab the communion elements, they are on the tables in the back. Sometime while I'm talking this morning, you can get up and go get those. Uh, it won't bother me unless I see you, and then it'll, then it'll distract me for the rest of the message. So it'll be fine. It'll be fine, really. As Ben said, my name is Steve Wallen. I'm the campus pastor here. It's good to be back with you. I was out last weekend. I got the chance to take an early in the year Sunday off. My wife celebrated her birthday, uh, 39 again, and um, it was great that we got to get away, and we went to McCormick's Creek State Park down in kind of Owen County, which was really awesome. We had a great day on Sunday. It was beautiful. It was in the upper 30s, and I, many of you know I like to run. Uh, we both like to hike. We both like being outdoors, but she likes to walk. I'm more of a runner, and so on Sunday, we kind of went our separate ways for a while, and uh, I had kind of studied the map of McCormick's Creek, and I thought, there's a really neat-looking trail kind of in the back of the park, so I'm going to run back to that trail and then try to run that trail and come back to the inn, and uh, I got it took me, I got it to the back of the park. It took me a while to find that trail, and then I found it, and I realized, it, one, it wasn't very well marked. Uh, two, it wasn't very well kept. I don't know if it was just because it's winter and nobody hikes on them in the winter or if it's because of COVID and the labor shortage and all that. I'm not sure what it was, uh, but I couldn't follow it. And so I ended up getting frustrated and I turned around and came back off the trail and just stuck to the roads. I took kind of the easy way. And uh, that's what happens sometimes, right? If you head down a pathway and it's not very well marked, not very well defined, we have a tendency to get, get a little frustrated and turn around and go try something else. And it's one thing when it's like just a run or a hike or something, but it's another thing when that happens in our spiritual lives. You know, in, in our spiritual lives, most of us are on a path. We're headed some direction. And if we have a very clearly defined, well-marked pathway that has uh, clear next steps and directions, we're happy to follow that. But if we don't, sometimes we get so frustrated, we'll turn around and go try something else instead. Well, if you're, if you're relatively new here at Genesis, I want you to know that our mission is helping people find their way back to God. And we want everybody that experiences Genesis Church, that calls Genesis their home, we want you to learn how to follow Jesus better, to be on this pathway of uh, following Jesus who came to earth as God in the flesh, who lived a sinless life, who died a painful, atoning death for us on the cross, and then three days later was raised from the dead. And we believe that all of us, no matter where we are, are on this journey back to God, finding our way back to God. And no matter where we are on that journey, that we all have a next step to take. And so that mindset shapes everything that we do here at Genesis. Uh, you may remember, if you were here then, that back in the fall of 2019, I know that sounds like ages ago, or seems like ages ago, but we launched what we call the Pathway. And this pathway is kind of a four-step plan uh, for people. Who, for, uh, it's a disciple-making plan is what it is. It's for people who are finding their way back to God. And we launched that. It represents a repeating pattern of spiritual growth. And it comes from the life of Jesus. Uh, and our goal for adopting and implementing this pathway was that have everybody that's part of our church to be able to identify where they are on the pathway and to have a clear next step, an appropriate step, in growing in their relationship with God and helping other people do the same thing. And as you can see from the graphic, there are four steps that this pathway consists of. It starts in the upper left-hand corner here. The first one is connect. We want to connect in community. And we can do that here on Sunday morning, sure, but uh, that doesn't happen all the time. That happens once a week, and sometimes we're sitting around different people. And that's one of the reasons why we do the 
usually do the greeting time. We haven't done that the last couple of weeks. We're just taking a couple of weeks off as this latest COVID wave kind of moves through. We'll get back to that, I promise. But we think it's really important you get to know the people that you're on this spiritual journey with. And so some other ways that you do that are through a connection group, you know, through serving in a ministry here at Genesis. But we, want to, we believe it's important that you connect in community. In fact, for some people, they need to have a place to belong before they ever find out what they believe. So connecting community is first, which leads us to step two, and that's that we want people to encounter Jesus. Community is not as valuable, doesn't have uh, eternal implications unless we're working together to learn about Jesus. And that happens when people discover who he is and begin to place their faith in him. And when they place their faith in him, we go to step three, which is to follow Jesus. Jesus is uh, our model for life. He came to earth as our savior. He wants to be our Lord, that we want to start to follow him and develop a deepening relationship with him every day. And the final step in that process is to take what we've learned and use it to multiply a few. Step four is to multiply our influence, which simply means that you, uh, you leverage those relationships you have to help, people, help other people find their way back to God. But if you look closely at the graphic, you notice that there's an arrow connecting step four back to step one. That's not because once you multiply a few, you go back to the beginning and start connecting in a new community again. The reason for that is that as you multiply a few, we want them to connect in community, to find a place to belong, and to continue on that pattern. It's a repeating pattern. It's more than just a spiritual pathway. It's a repeating pattern that followers of Jesus are continually engaged in, participating in, to help more and more people find their way back to God through a relationship with Jesus. Now, if you're new to church, if you're new here, you think, hey, that sounds a little suspicious. Or maybe it sounds like what you did with Amway back in the 80s or something like that, right? Well, this, I just want to tell you, this is not a pyramid. First of all, you can tell it's a circle, okay? It's not a pyramid. Um, but I want you to know that we didn't just sit around in a room and come up with this this pathway, this pattern, that it's something that we see repeated over and over again in the life of Jesus. That's where we got it from. It's modeled in Jesus's life. And if you have a Bible with you, I just want to encourage you to turn to John chapter one. If you don't have a Bible, we've got some of these blue ones right here in the back of the room. Uh, You can grab one of those. It's page 739 in this Bible, page 739, John chapter one. Uh, And if you don't own a Bible, we want you to take that with you. It's our gift to you so that you can be reading uh, in John along with us. Now, if you don't want to grab a Bible, we got these this week. I thought this was pretty neat. This is uh, the entire gospel of John that you can carry in your pocket or in your wallet, not in your wallet. It's the size of a vaccine card, so it doesn't quite fit in your wallet, (laughs) but it's uh, the size of a passport. You can carry it in your purse. You can take that with you, and you can always have the Gospel of John with you, and so while you're waiting in the license branch or you're waiting for your kid's basketball game to finish or whatever, you can be reading the Gospel of John. So you can take those with you, but we're in John chapter one. We are in uh, week four of our series called Grow, and the purpose of Grow is kind of, it's in the name, right? It's what it says on the ten. Uh, the purpose is for all of us to grow deeper in our relationship with Jesus. We want to grow deeper uh, individually and then grow deeper as a church as we study his life together as a church family. And so to help us with that, we're studying through a biographical account of the life of Jesus written by a man named John. Now, John, as it turns out, was one of Jesus's closest friends, one of his early followers and one of his close friends when he walked the earth 2,000 years ago. And the gospel account that John provide, uh, of John provides us with a front row seat for what it was like to know Jesus personally. 
But before we want to jump into that passage, I want to take a moment to recap the things we've talked about the last couple of weeks, just in case you've missed something. Uh, I think it's really important to help set the context for what we're going to read today. Uh, two weeks ago, we started with John 1, chapter, or John chapter 1, verse 1. The apostle John, the author of this book, shared what he had learned about uh, Jesus from his three and a half years walking with him and then his 50 or 60 years of spreading the message of Jesus, of preaching, of writing, um, talking to churches in the area. He tells us in John 1.1 that Jesus has always been. That even in the beginning, in Genesis 1.1, when we read, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, John tells us Jesus was there. He was there before that happened. That, that nothing was created outside of Jesus, that everything that has been created was created through Jesus. And uh, he was there in the beginning. And he comes with this awesome revelation that Jesus was God coming to earth. That, that he was God in a bod, as one pastor says. He was God in the flesh, that he came down, and as uh, author Eugene Peterson said, he moved into the neighborhood, that he made his dwelling place among us. Uh, God in the flesh. And it's really important because what it means is that God came to earth to experience what you and I experience, that because he came in the flesh, he understood what it was like to be hungry and to be sad and to be tired and to be happy and to be joyful, that he came, and it means that when Jesus was born as a human, he became just like us so that we can relate to him and he can relate to us in a very personal way. And it's such a big deal. That's such a big deal that we're gonna talk about it more next week. Then last week, well, last week was pretty amazing, wasn't it? I just thought it was great. Paul did a great job. Um, John introduced us to another man named John who became known as John the Baptist, or as Paul apparently likes to call him, JTB. Um, sounds almost like part of a boy band. He was, not, uh, he was not John the Baptist because he went to a Baptist church. He was John the Baptist because he was a baptizer. That's what he did. Um, he was a teacher who was becoming very popular around the time that Jesus came on the scene. Uh, and as we learned last week, he began referring to Jesus in a really unique way. John 1.29 was one of the passages we covered last week. And he said, John the Baptist said, uh, saw Jesus coming towards him. And he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, what the Jewish people of the day would have understand that, understood that we maybe don't have a very good grasp on is the uh, power in that phrase, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, last week, Paul told you that about in the Old Testament and the Passover and how the, the Israeli people or the Jewish people were held captive in Egypt and God uh, grew up a leader, brought out a leader named Moses to lead them out of captivity. And he sent, kept sending them back to Pharaoh with all these plagues that God was gonna send on the land. And then finally he said, I'm finally gonna let you free. And he, he uh, sent uh, the last plague, which was he was going to kill all of the firstborn in Egypt, all of the firstborn um, men, the firstborn sons, and also the firstborn of the cattle. But that he said if the Jewish people would slaughter a lamb, a flawless lamb, and wipe that blood on their doorpost, it would be a signal to the angel of the Lord as he came through the, the, the country that day that the Israelite people, uh, that they, those were Jewish people who lived in that house, and he would pass over those homes. And so the blood of the lamb became sacred. And so much so that after the Israelite people were rescued, in Exodus chapter 13, God says that the firstborn of every womb belongs to him. 
that firstborn sons belong to God, firstborn of every cattle belongs to him, that they are to be sacrificed to the Lord. But if you have a son, you don't have to sacrifice your son. He says that can be redeemed by the blood of a lamb, that you can take a spotless lamb and you can, re, you can uh, sacrifice that lamb and it would save your son. And so that's what the, Israel, the, the devout people of Israel have been doing that for hundreds of years since they heard this. And so they were every time, the only way to save their son, to save their children was by the blood of the lamb. And so by calling Jesus the lamb of God, then John was telling his people, this is God's long-awaited Messiah. He's come to earth to rescue us all, to be the, the one sacrifice for all time, for all people. He takes away the sin of the world. In other words, he's gonna come and defeat death and darkness and sin in the world once and for all. Now, if you missed either one of those messages, I, I wanna tell you, uh, you can find them on your podcast app, on Apple Podcasts or on the Google Play Store. Just search Genesis Church Noblesville, or you can watch them on our YouTube channel at Genesis Church. You can see them there. Um, and I encourage you to do that. But that brings us to where we are at John 1.35, if you've got your Bible open there. But before we read it, I promise we'll get to the scripture. I promise we will. But before we read it, I want to I wanna have you looking for a pattern. There's a pattern in here that you're going to see um, that's a pattern of growth that Jesus uses with his followers again and again in his ministry. See, when we study Jesus, we can often get so laser focused on what Jesus did on the cross. And I'm, I'm going to tell you that's very important, that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for us is very important. It's what gives us eternal life. It's what allows us to have a relationship with a loving God. But if God just wanted Jesus to be a sacrifice for us, he could have died as a baby. He could have died as a child. Why then would God allow Jesus to live to be a grown man? 30, 33, many people believe 34 years. Why would he do that? There must be something about his life that we're supposed to learn, right? So then sometimes we focus a lot on the teaching of Jesus, and that's important. Jesus was not just our savior, but he was a great learned teacher. He gives lots of instruction for how to live and worship and interact with one another. And we can't miss that. But if we focus just on that, or we focus just on the cross, what we miss is how Jesus lived his life and the patterns that he gave us in his life. Uh, that one of the things I love about reading through the gospel of John is it's a little less focused on the teaching of Jesus and some more focused on the relationships that he had and the things that he did and how he made disciples over his three and a half, three and three quarters years of ministry. He had these patterns in his life that he constantly used. And so that's what we're looking for as we read through. It's a pattern, okay? Patterns can be really helpful to us. They're typically easy to identify once we see them, but we have to learn them. And there are helpful patterns and there are unhelpful patterns, right? And so uh, helpful patterns can help us feel good. They can help us recognize something easily. They can help us memorize things. Uh, if you have a TV show or a movie series or a podcast that you like to listen to or a, a series of books you like to read, it's probably because there's a comforting or similar pattern to that show, to that book uh, that you read. So for instance, when I was a kid, I would always fall asleep watching The Tonight Show on my little black and white television down in my bedroom. And The Tonight Show had a very uh, predictable pattern every night. There was a monologue and then there was uh, a little comedy skit, and then they'd have two or three guests, right? And even today with Jimmy Fallon, it's the same thing. It's same, same pattern. That show has kept the same pattern. Or my favorite TV show, which I'm embarrassed to admit, many of you know, is The Office. And uh, yes, I know, I shouldn't be your pastor, right? Um, 
There's a very repeatable pattern on The Office. If you watch it, there's a cold open, which usually has nothing to do with the show. And then there's uh, two or three stories. Usually there's an A story, a B story, and a C story. And then at the end, there's a tag. And the tag typically has nothing to do with the rest of the show. But that pattern is very very familiar. It's very repeatable, right? That's helpful to us. It helps comfort us. If you uh, started binging a show during quarantine, it's probably because it was very comfortable to you, very comforting, right? Uh, But there are also unhelpful patterns. And the most unhelpful pattern I can think of is when you go to the self-checkout at Kroger and you scan the item and it tells you, please place the item in the bag and then scan the next item. Like, I don't know how to use a self-checkout. And it does that over, and then it tells you that there's an unexpected item in the bagging area. Please remove the last item. And so you take that back out and you put it up on the shelf because it doesn't notice it there. And then you scan the next item and it says, please place the item in the bag and scan the next item. And you put it in the bag and it says, there's an unexpected item in the bagging area. And you do that over and over again until your cart is empty. And then you push the pay button and it says, help is on the way. And like, I didn't, I didn't want help. I just wanted my Cheez-Its. Right? Unhelpful. There are helpful and unhelpful patterns. Well, this one I hope will be a helpful pattern. And here's the pattern. I want to show you the pattern, and then I promise we'll get into the scripture. Okay? We're going to get into the pattern. It's a helpful one. It's a pattern of spiritual growth that every one of us are on somewhere, and we're going to see it repeated time and time again throughout the ministry of Jesus. As you read the book of John this year, you'll see it again and again. Here's the pattern. I'm going to give it to you. It's right here. Here, follow, find, bring. Okay? Here, follow, find, bring. Why don't you say that with me one time, right? Here, follow, find, bring. Good. Okay. Now, as we read through the scripture today, I want you to look for that pattern in the text. We're going to start at John 135. Here it goes. All right. It says this, the next day, John, that's John the Baptist, was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. Now, this is the second time he says that, but one of the things we notice right away. If we connect the dots with this part of John and the other three gospels, what we can decipher is that this is right after Jesus's baptism and temptation in the wilderness. So Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist in the same area near Bethany, down along the Jordan River in the southern part of Israel. And then he is immediately, the scripture tells us, he is immediately led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan for 40 days. The Holy Spirit leads him into the wilderness. Satan tempts him. Jesus fights that off by his knowledge of scripture and through prayer and fasting. And then 40 days later, he comes out of the wilderness. And this is where this whole scene happens. Okay, so we're at the very beginning of Jesus's ministry. It's helpful to notice that John begins this section with the phrase, the next day. And so, because what that means is that John is giving us a day-by-day account of when Jesus meets his first disciples. Now, this actually begins in verse 29, the verse I showed you a minute ago, uh, where John uses the phrase, the next day. He uses it in verse 29. He uses it again here in verse 35, and then he's going to use it again in verse 43. So we have day two, day three, and day four. Here's the point. John is connecting the dots for us early in Jesus's ministry, day by day by day by day, so that we can recognize how Jesus lived his life, how he had this pattern. But I want you to pay close attention to what happens on this particular day, verse 35. It says this again, the next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the lamb of God. So we learned that John the Baptist had his own disciples. There is this community of followers, probably mostly men, that were spending time together, traveling, uh, trying to make sense of life and of God, and they're following John the Baptist as their teacher. And we'll see this in the text later, but uh, these two disciples that were there, we learn that one of them is Andrew, 
who's the brother of the man that we'll come to know as Peter. And the other one we can decipher is John, the author of this gospel. Now, how do we know that? Well, John never refers to himself in the third person or even in the first person. He always calls himself either the other disciple or the disciple Jesus loved. And so you'll see that as you read through the text over this year, as we read through John, John will constantly refer to himself that way. And so we can decipher, these are Andrew and John. These are the two disciples. Okay, verse 36, when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the lamb of God. Now this is the second day, remember that John has said this. He'd made this declaration about Jesus, about who Jesus is and why he has come. Now, why would John do that? Why would this guy who's amassing his own set of followers, he's got his own community, what would make him call a timeout with his followers and say, that guy right there, that's the guy I told you about. That's the one I baptized and the Holy Spirit came down on him like a dove and landed on him. And that's the one whose sandals I'm not fit to tie. That's the guy you want to follow, not me. What would cause John the Baptist to do that? I think that gives us a clue as to who these guys were and what they were looking for down along the Jordan River, right? What was their whole community about? Let's go on, verse 37. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Hear, follow, find, bring. This is the first part of that pattern, right? They heard and they followed. They heard what John said about Jesus and they followed. Sounds simple enough but that's the start of the pattern. Verse 38, turning around, Jesus saw them following. They actually literally followed him, okay? And this is not like, a, oh, I'm gonna follow Jesus. I'm gonna read my Bible every day. I'm gonna pray. This is, I'm gonna follow Jesus. I'm walking behind that guy. That's what they're doing, okay? Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? Now, I understand that this question might not just jump off the page at you, right? You probably don't go, wow, how profound, what a deep question Jesus asked. But did you know this is the first question that Jesus asks any of his followers? What do you want? And if we dig into it a little deeper, and if you've been here more than a couple of years, you already know what I'm about to say. This word that's translated want here is the Greek word zeteo. And that word is actually much deeper than just what do you want. It means what do you seek after? What do you aim at? What do you strive for? What do you crave? In other words, Jesus isn't just saying, what are you stalkers looking at? Right? He's, saying, he's actually saying something like, what, what are you seeking after? How can I help you? What's the aim of your life? Like, what are you doing with your life? Now, I just want you to stop for a moment and put yourself in the place of these two men. You've been following John the Baptist as your leader, but now he's telling you to pay attention to this other guy, this Jesus guy, and now Jesus is asking you, what are you seeking how can I help you? How would you answer that? What would you say? Maybe you would uh, tell Jesus you need help with some anxiety or depression that you're suffering with. Maybe you'd want Jesus to help you in your marriage or, or to help you find a partner. Maybe you'd want him to help you raise your kids or help you pass your classes or to get out of debt or get a job or save enough for retirement. And none of those things would be bad or wrong but if we keep reading in John 1, I think we'll discover that what these two men were looking for was a deeper spiritual purpose in life. They were following John the Baptist. They're part of this community because they were spiritually hungry. And no matter where they looked, no matter what they tried to seek out, 
whether it was to the religious leaders of the day or even to their teacher, John the Baptist, they had not been able to find anything that was a satisfying answer for them. Or in the great words of the theologian Bono, they still hadn't found what they were looking for. You know, whether we are willing to admit it or not, every single one of us finds ourselves in the same place as those two disciples. Most of us go to church or we open our Bible or we come to Jesus because we're looking for answers to life's toughest questions. And it might be around relationships or around family or finances or mental health or our physical health. And we come to church and we hope to cure whatever it is that is ailing in us. We look to Jesus to give us the answer, but what we really need is the spiritual understanding and awareness to recognize that Jesus is the answer to life's toughest questions. And I don't want you to take that, that's not meant to be trite, and I don't want you to take that as, oh, well, that's what my pastor is supposed to say, but I want you to hear it from me as someone who has spent a large portion of my life not following Jesus and looking for the same answers that many of you have been looking for. Friends, we all have deep spiritual cravings and desires that we long to have fulfilled, and we look to lots of people and things to satisfy them. But as we're getting ready to see, there's only one lasting source of satisfaction. Let's keep reading. Verse 38, turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? What's your aim? What are you looking for? How can I help? What's your zateo? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Now, if we thought these guys were stalkers before, I mean, come on. You don't ask a guy where he's staying, right? Anybody ever make the mistake of you're in a hotel and you get talking to somebody in the pool or the hot tub and you go, hey, what room are you guys in? It's like, whoa, 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 wait. Really, I'm I'm not stalking you. I'm just curious as to... Where in the, and then you kind of back out and you kind of do the Homer Simpson thing back into the shrubs. Um, but, but who among us would blame Jesus if he, if he you know, sets up a restraining order against these creeps, right? They're asking where he's staying. But one commentator suggests these men were actually paying Jesus a compliment by asking where he was staying. They, they said, we've heard, you know, they're kind of saying, we've heard some good things about you. We'd like to know more. Is there a place we can come by later and have a conversation? And hear what you're all about. Where can we find you? And to their surprise, Jesus makes an immediate invitation back to them. Verse 39, come, he replied, and you will see. And so they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. See, Jesus realizes these guys are curious about him. They want to know more. And so he invites them to come and see, to investigate. In other words, he meets them where they are with an invitation to come and check things out for themselves. Verse 40, here's where we learn who they are. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and had followed Jesus. There's that pattern again, right? They heard and they followed. And then John tells us that these two men got to spend the rest of the day with Jesus. And we don't know how long that was, if it was two hours or four hours or eight hours. And we don't even know what they talked about, which I think is really unfair of John, to have been privy to this whole conversation and not tell us a single thing that Jesus told them. We don't get any insight into that, but watch what happens. We we would love to hear the tea that Jesus spilled in this moment because here's what happens. Verse 41, the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. 
Do you see it? He found his brother Simon and brought him to Jesus. So we don't know what they were talking about. We don't know what the conversation consisted of, but this gives us a clue of what these men were doing down there anyway, what they were looking for, because the first thing Andrew did was to go find his brother and said, we found him. We found the Messiah. And you know this, if you're ever looking for something in your house and it's really important, and so you've got the whole family looking and you've turned the house upside down, when you find it, you're going to yell throughout the house, I found it! And nobody's going to question what you just found because everybody knows what you were looking for. Right? Well, Andrew comes down and he tells his brother, we have found what we're looking for. We have found the Messiah. So using Andrew as the example, right? he heard about Jesus, he followed him, and then he went and found his brother, and then he brought him to Jesus. Hear, follow, find, bring. I hope you can see it in the text. And I've got to be honest, it takes a lot of studying of Scripture to really pick up on this. It's not obvious at the very beginning, but hopefully as you read through the book of John this year, you'll see this pattern over and over and over again. It's something that Jesus uses in his ministry constantly. In fact, just a couple of verses later, look at this, verse 43. The next day, this is day four, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. And Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. This is what we learn. Philip found Nathanael and told him, in other words, Nathanael heard, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now, Nathanael's not so sure. Right? When Nathanael hears about this, right? Jesus found Philip, invited him to follow Philip started following, and then he went and found Nathanael, told him, and watch what happens. Nathanael, who's a little bit skeptical, says, Nazareth? He's from Nazareth. Can anything good come from there? It's a little bit like saying, Bloomington? Like, really? Can anything good come from Bloomington? Just made a bunch of enemies, didn't I? But uh, Nathanael asked, and then uh, Philip says, come and see. Philip uses the same invitation on Nathaniel that Jesus used on Andrew and John at the very beginning of the story. That's the pattern. And then watch what happens in verse 49. Then Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Nathaniel comes to know Christ and becomes one of his earliest followers. Here, follow, find, bring. That's the pattern. We'll see it over and over again. And one of the reasons that we're so excited to be studying through the Gospel of John this year as a church family is that we honestly believe that Jesus is the model for our life. So we, you and I, we can follow Jesus, you know, as, as humans, as individuals, as husbands and wives, as moms and dads, as students, and as kids, as neighbors, as coworkers and friends. We can follow Jesus. We can learn from his life. We can use him as our model, but we can also do that as a church. You know, as a church family, they that's why we took this pattern of Jesus in the scriptures and we used it to develop this pathway, which, uh, by the way, these pathway brochures, they're available on the Info Hub if you want to take one of these with you. Or if you're coming to Intro to Genesis later, you're just getting a sneak preview of some of the things that we're going to talk about here in the next few minutes. But we believe that everyone is on this pathway somewhere, that every one of us has a next step to take. And so that first step, like I said, is to connect in community. Uh, one of the reasons this pattern worked really well in Jesus's life is because these men were already in community and they were looking for the same thing. They were spiritually hungry. Now, we believe it's important to connect in community, that many people, like I said, will not 
figure out what they believe until they're connected in a community of people who are trying to pursue that same thing that are looking to find their way back to God as well. And uh, it's so important for anyone who wants to find their way back to God. If, if this is you and you don't really have a church community, I want to invite you to become a part of this one. You know, you're here in Hamilton County in central Indiana, and there are great churches on every street corner. Some corners have two or three churches. Uh, but I really like what we do here at Genesis. I realize I'm biased, but not because I work here, but because we started coming here a long time ago, and we love what Genesis does. But if this is you, I want to encourage you, if you're new and you want to hear more about what it means to connect in community, stop by Intro to Genesis after the service. It's, it's right after this. It's in that room over there. We've got lunch. We've got child care, as Ben said. Um, We'd love to do that and just get to know you a little bit. The second step on the pathway then is to encounter Jesus. And one way you can do that is through our worship services. But again, that only happens once a week, every Sunday. And if you are hungry, eating once a week is not enough. If you are hungry, eating once a week is not enough. You need to learn to feed yourself. You can't count on your church or somebody in this stage to feed you all the time. And so one of the ways that we do that is through reading uh, God's word, through scripture. Um, But you need to know where to look. If you know where to look, you can find Jesus in every book of the Bible. But you need to know how to to do that, how to understand. That's why we're doing our soaps workshop coming up next Saturday. It's uh, January 29th. And you'll learn to study the Bible by using this simple acronym we call SOAPS. SOAP stands for scripture, observation, application, prayer, and share. It's a simple way to study the Bible and to journal through it. And uh, we've got some uh, ways to dig deeper in God's Word coming up next Saturday here at the Noblesville campus, 9 to 11 a.m. I want to invite you to that. Uh, You can sign up on our website, genesischurch.me, or you can find it on the Genesis Church app if you want to be a part of that. But do that. You'll learn to encounter Jesus in a new way. The, The third step is to follow Jesus. We want to learn to follow Jesus. And I have to tell you that not many things in my life have been more formative in my, uh, my spiritual life, my following of Jesus, than our connection group. Uh, my wife, Benita, and I have been in a connection group of one sort or another here at Genesis for about 18 years. And uh, a lot of different people, a lot of different iterations of that, but those people have laughed with me and cried with me and uh, shared things with me and taught me and I hope learned from me in those 18 years. And uh, there is really no better way to learn to follow Jesus than to be among a group of people, a community of people that is trying to do the exact same thing. And we've got uh, new groups, new connection groups starting even this week, even today. And so if you want to know more about that, uh, there's our website right there, genesischurch.me slash groups, or come see me after the service or come see Ben. We can introduce you to some group leaders that are starting new groups or some group leaders that have a group that just has some room in it. We'd love to do that and help you get connected in that way so that you can learn to follow Jesus a little bit better. And once you start following Jesus, your very next step is baptism. Uh, Ben mentioned that already. That's coming up next week. If you made that decision at some point in your life to follow Jesus, but you've never taken that public step of standing up in front of your church and your friends and family and being baptized, what are you waiting for? Don't wait any longer. Let's do that. Uh, Send us an email, info at genesischurch.me, and we'll get back with you. And then finally, the last step on the pathway is to multiply a few. To multiply a few. As you're growing and following Jesus, You want to do the second half of that pattern. You want to find people and bring them to Christ. And this can be really scary and really intimidating, especially because you're not perfect and I'm not perfect. And I don't like to talk to people anyway. 
and I'm not worthy, and I don't know enough, and what am I leaving out? I'm really sinful, and, but God can use anyone. God can use anyone to bring people back to himself, including sinful, nervous, scared you. But there are some helpful tools you can learn. And so coming up in February, February 18th and 19th, we're going to host our next Multiply workshop. And you can look for more details in the next week or so about that. Now, I know that's a lot, and that can seem like really burdensome and really overwhelming. But, but two things I just want to close on with this pathway, with this pattern. First of all, you don't need to do everything. So just release that burden from you. Just what's the next thing for you? Like, what's the next appropriate step that you can take? I just want to encourage you, lock in on one of those steps and be bold and take it. The second thing is this. You shouldn't do anything out of guilt or shame or obligation. You know, if, you're, if you've got a thought in your head right now that you're thinking, gosh, I should really already know how to study my Bible. I've been a Christian for a long time. Or... Oh, man, I wish I'd have been baptized when I was 12, like mom said. Or, oh gosh, I forgot. I really need to invite my neighbor to church and get them coming here. If you have, get rid of that way of thinking, okay? That is not from the Lord. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But the reason we have these steps is because we have a gift. We, we have a savior, like, We have a Savior who came to pay the price that we were supposed to pay, that we, those of us who are followers of Jesus, we have escaped death because we found the free gift of God's forgiveness and grace. We need to remember that we have the best news on earth, and we should share it not out of guilt and not out of obligation, but out of love. Because we love our friends and we love our family and we desperately want them to be with us in heaven someday. And if you've found good news, don't you want to share that good news with others? Don't you want your friends and your neighbors and your families to experience that same forgiveness and love and joy that you found? And so let's do that, church. Let's, let's go forward. Let's repeat this pattern that we see in Jesus's life and let's take new ground for the kingdom together. Would you pray with me? Father, we are thankful that you have given us not just instruction and teaching in your word, that's important, that you've showed us not just that you sent us a savior to bring us eternal life, but that you've given us a pattern for how to live our lives, how to do something of significance in our lives. Lord, we can get so caught up. I've noticed this pattern in my life. God, I'm confessing it right now. I've got this pattern in my life of I go to work and I come home and I look for a way just to decompress from the day and to de-stress. And I'm not working on anything significant in my life. Lord, we know that your desire for us in the very brief time we have on earth is to do something significant with our lives. And you've given us a pattern. You've showed us what that is. And so, Lord, would you help me Would you help the people in this room to follow your example? We want to follow the example of Jesus as he followed his heavenly father. Lord, we want to do that through reading of scripture, through prayer, 
and through making disciples of our friends and our family and our neighbors. And we thank you so much that you've given us this pattern, that you've given us the way to do this. We thank you so much that you sent your son Jesus uh, to be the forgiveness for our sins. And we praise you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, we're going to take communion together. So if you've got those elements, you can get those out right now. You notice there's two flaps there. The top one exposes the bread and the bottom one exposes the juice. I just want to read from you from 1 Corinthians, uh, from the Apostle Paul. But before we do, I just want to remind you of why we take communion. Jesus, after he walked around on the earth for 40 days, after being raised from the dead, he ascended into heaven and he promised that he was coming back someday. But he gave us this promise and reminded us that we can take communion, we can do this, we can partake of his flesh and blood to remember him, remember his death, his sacrifice until he comes back. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, you're welcome to take communion with us. You don't have to be a part of Genesis or any particular faith body. Um, But if you're not a follower of Jesus, I just want to encourage you to let this moment pass and maybe think about, maybe pray about what it might mean for you to be in communion with the Lord. But here's what I'm going to read out of 1 Corinthians 11. The apostle Paul wrote this. He says, uh, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take that bread out and let's eat it together, remembering that Jesus' body was broken for us on the cross. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You can take that juice and remember the blood Christ spilled for you. We're going to close our service by responding with one more song. And so if you're able, would you stand with us and sing together?